We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of A Change of Seasons on December 1st, 1980. It was written by Eric Segal, Ronnie Kern, and Fred Siegel, based on a story by Eric I'm guessing these guys are related because they I pronounced their last name differently, but it's the same last name. <laughs> Let me start that over. It was written by Eric Siegel, Ronnie Kern, and Fred Siegel, based on a story by Eric Siegel and Martin Ransehoff, directed by Richard Lang and Noel Black, and released by 20th Century Fox. You know you're in for a good ride when there's like five writers and two directors. Two directors, <laughs> yeah, never a bad sign. <laughs> the working title was Consenting Adults, in 1975, negotiations were underway for Audrey Hepburn to star, but that obviously fell apart. Noel Black was replaced as director after shooting the first half of the film. A rumor that he clashed with Bo Derrick's husband, John Derrick, was squashed by the film's press tour, though Mr. Derrick does have a history of clashing with the filmmakers of his wife's filmography. Yeah, I like the other title better. I, a Change of Seasons is a terrible title. Yeah. Consenting, Consenting adults. adults makes more sense for yeah. this movie title. I think they were trying to make it sound more artsy. Like, like the Four Seasons? I guess. Yeah. Consenting Adults sounds a little racy, but mm-hmm. I think it makes more sense. Yeah, but it also sounds more like a like a silly hijinks movie, Consenting Adults, than A Change of Seasons makes it sound like they're trying to be Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or something with it. Yeah. Which I feel like they're trying to at the beginning. Yeah, but somebody should have told Shirley MacLaine that. Yeah. (laughs) Jack Cooper was offered the director chair, but passed before they landed on Mountain Men director Richard Lang. Hopkins said of working with MacLaine, she was the most obnoxious actress I have ever worked with. In post, Bo Derek and Anthony Hopkins were called back for additional hot tub photography. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah. If I must. I must. Why? Why did I you add that? I mean, you know, we want to know the real reason why it's for sad. more boobs. It's because John Derrick has a problem, and he likes showing his wife naked to other people. This was, I mean, like this is absolutely the most outrageous and worst part of this movie. I'm like, why? I mean, obviously, I'm probably in a minority by saying that about Bo Derrick's boobs being in a shot. They are terrific boobs. I mean, don't get us they're, wrong. They're fabulous. I'm just saying, like. Not only did the footage not match the rest of the movie in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't fit the story at all. It doesn't fit the story. And it just, like, it's out of nowhere. It doesn't it doesn't and, ever come back. It doesn't weave in at all. It's just stupid. And it's the poster. And it's the poster. <laughs> yeah. It's great. <laughs> this film was nominated for the Worst Actor for Hopkins, Worst Original Song for Where Do You Catch the Bus for Tomorrow. Okay. And Worst <laughs> Screenplay by Eric Siegel, Ronnie Kern, and Fred Siegel. I, I only stand behind the song nominations. Yeah, I, totally I do not think... agree with the other nominations at all. That, yeah. That's the most amazing song title. <laughs> yeah. That, that sounds like something like that Jerry from Rick and Morty would write. Yeah. Or it sounds like something that you would hear on like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or something. And all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put the pieces together again Where do you catch the bus for tomorrow Cause I've got to get out of today It reminds, the song itself actually reminds me a lot of It's a changing world But it's still fun Yeah, exactly, <laughs> from Serial. Yeah uh, this is the third feature this year, commonly referred to as a spiritual sequel to Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice after Last Married Couple and Loving Couples. Loving Couples, which of course also starred Shirley MacLaine. We open with Hopkins and Bo Derek splashing around in a giant hot tub for some reason. So infuriating. In slow motion. Yes, of My, course. Yeah, I actually wrote WTF, another hot tub scene. Yeah. 
I wrote, we open with tits. (laughs) (laughs) Your note is better. You win. (laughs) We hear voiceover of Hopkins as a professor. He is Adam Evans, and he's teaching students about Shakespeare. Oh, I thought he said he was William Shakespeare. (laughs) That's what he says in his speech. I am William Shakespeare. Maybe I am 40. I was like, what? He shares with them a personal theory about Shakespeare's weather-related titles or something like that. I wasn't really paying attention. It loosely (laughs) connects to the title of the film, but so loosely that they should have stuck with consenting adults. We see a woman walking around the campus with Adam for a moment before they part ways. This is Lindsay Rutledge, played by Bo Derek. A whistle blows, and we cut to a basketball game. Adam is complimenting a player, and a second professor seated next to him says, well, he's failing sociology because he has that player as a student. Adam says he'd trade the whole sociology department for one of that kid's sneakers, and the professor says, we've got to maintain standards, at which point his wife says that she likes the player's standards, and she's particularly fond of his ass. But when she gets to this line, the crowd is erupting in applause because he just scored a basket or something. Sure. I like that a standard. I particularly approve of his ass. So that is the first of a couple of weird edits that i notice it seems like they were trying to curb the language yeah but they the, weren't afraid to show the boobs yeah yeah because the, the audio comes up so loud that you can't hear what she's saying you just have to guess what the last word is right but there's gonna be other things later where they clearly overdubbed. overdubbed yeah you know like what? everything the daughter says yeah i i the crowd the crowd cheering was probably i i we might have been watching like a tv edit but it had boobs, boobs. all over it though it did have boobs all over it but they literally overdubbed lines yeah. with with different language that didn't match the lips in spots and, yeah. and there was a weird fade out with music and the music faded out and then immediately cut to another scene where the music was back up i was like oh they cut it, they they i'm sure they cut stuff out because yeah. this editor would not have done that yeah it, it, it seems like maybe it was a cobbled together version maybe someone was like i taped this off of television but it didn't have the boob parts so, so i, I added relentlessly it. sought <laughs> maybe, them out and edited them back it. into the maybe movie. that's why the hot tub is, is such a weird edit at the I th- beginning i think it's it's literally the way it was edited it was just poorly edited but i don't think it was poorly edited we'll see <laughs> professor evans keeps staring across the game at Lindsay on the opposite side of the court he gives her a little wave the professors and their wives have a small dinner together it looks like they're just having soup and beer uh, Adam says that he and his wife Karen, played by Shirley MacLaine, are taking a two-week vacation. He's excited to get away from the undergrads because they seem smarter and meaner every year. The sociology professor says that teaching co-eds is more like opening a Playboy because they get hotter every year. All of this is said right in front of their wives. As Adam and Karen leave the party, they chuckle to themselves. Karen accuses Adam of having an affair, and he is surprisingly quick to confirm but tries to downplay it like it's no big deal. Well, an affair. It sounds so romantic. I mean... Uh, how about you're nailing a co-ed? Is that better? Well, it's not such a big deal. It happened once, the beginning of term. Once. All right. Twice. More than once. She runs ahead of him to their home, but the door is locked, so she has to wait for him. Apparently, they live just down the street from this other professor. Inside, she makes a drink and accuses him of sleeping with a co-ed because he wants to sleep with his own daughter, who's about the same age. There's actually some sharp dialogue here. All right, I love you, but I'm smitten by her. Bitten? Smitten. Oh, I thought you said bitten. I thought maybe you had rabies. Maybe I have. I feel very sick. Why don't I call you a vet? Very funny. I call myself a lawyer. Look! It's a phase I'm going through. It's just like adolescence. You can't have that twice, Adam. (laughs) Yes, you can. Once on each side. On each side of what? 40. Like, it's smart dialogue. Well, you sound, like, surprised that there's smart dialogue here. I'm going to argue that there is really great dialogue throughout this whole movie. Yeah. And that it's actually very well written. No, I don't disagree. I, I actually really like the dialogue. My problem is more with greater story elements than with specifically the talking that they do to each okay, other. Okay. I think there are there are decisions that are made in the plot that confuse me. Okay. Well let's we'll see when we get to it because yeah. I, I, I'm gonna argue in favor of the script of this movie. Yeah, no, I, I really like the dialogue and honestly this does feel on par with the pace of the arguments in Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf. The difference is that that movie stays very uncomplicated mm-hmm. and it's just these two people arguing for the full length of a movie and it stands on the dialogue alone but this tries to throw a lot of stuff at it. 
Adam switches tactics and tries to explain to Karen that men simply have different biological needs. He follows her upstairs and finds her knitting. She asks why he couldn't just lie about it. And here he is able to successfully lie that he respects her too much to lie to her. <laughs> yeah. He he respects her. That's why he's having an affair. Right. But he's got to be honest. And then she says, I don't want your respect. I want your fidelity. It's like, you don't want his respect? Wait, I was like, you can want both. It's yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's like, <laughs> what is happening? I think she prefers his fidelity. But then, and then they say, or she's, she says, he says fidelity is old fashioned. And yeah. she says, I'm old fashioned. That's old fashioned. what you liked about me. But like, even if fidelity is old fashioned, fidelity is one of those things that you cannot like explicitly like ignore unless right. you, you speak about it prior to ignoring it. Right. It, that's <laughs> the whole point of, I, I, respected you too much to lie but i didn't respect you too much to omit like if you respected her at all you would have told her up front right later that evening he asks if she's feeling any better without having done (laughs) anything to make her feel better hoping that she is already over having been cheated on she tells him about all the unappreciated work she puts into this marriage and talks about how their marriage was the only good one among their friends they were supposed to be the happily married couple He tells her to do nothing and she will feel better. He asks her to think about their daughter before doing anything rash like leaving him. And he thinks that she's overreacting. So he's just a cartoon of a terrible person. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that their their arguments here feel realistic to me. Where he's he's sort of, you know, blinded by his pompous attitude about the whole situation. Right. And she's not really saying a lot of smart things right now because she's just very hurt i think she's saying smart things i mean i don't i don't think that her arguments are all that all that great here sure but i think that it it feels realistic in the i'm gonna say this in the emotion of the moment right uh but i think what's weird about him is that he's pretending like he's a new kind of modern man that cheats on his wife and that's why he's (laughs) and it's like no that's been happening for millennia like you didn't invent affairs and and you're not smart just because you can talk about it in like a literate way she asks him if he's decided which woman he's bringing to montreal for the upcoming trip he says that he wasn't planning to bring either of them and she asks if there's a third woman later still they are sleeping in bed and she says adam and unfortunately doesn't follow it with i want a divorce she says i want to go to montreal i don't know why you'd want to spend more time with this guy he just flat out says no maybe next time which means I'm bringing the other girl, basically. Yeah. But maybe, I mean, maybe she wanted to make an effort to fix it while they were on a trip. I mean. I, fix, fix what? Yeah. yeah th- this is irreparably broken. He doesn't care about her. No, no. I agree. But I'm just trying to find her motivation. Yes. The next day, Karen's friend Alice, the sociology professor's wife, tells her not to call it quits. She convinces her that she wants Adam back. She admits that she and Sam have been through this whole process, too. We cut to a truck oh, parking. Hold on, hold on. We, we, we need to unpack this conversation. Yes. Because <laughs> this, this, this was my second note to you uh, during my- Fuck re- this you movie. Were, yeah. You were infuriated. I, he, she, her friend Alice tells her that, one, that it's not you're not old as a man if you're over 40. Yeah. But you as a woman are, and that you have to grit your teeth and deal with it because he'll, he'll choose the other woman- over you if you if you try to fight it i was like what kind of advice is this oh it's shitty advice but i think that that is the the sort of going logic of the time of a lot of women i think that totally makes sense for what people thought at the time i i don't really absolutely 100 percent yeah yeah it sucks (laughs) right i don't think that a lot of people think super differently right now I mean, maybe not. I mean, 40 might not be as old as it was then, you know? I think that our sort of opinions of age might have shifted a little bit. But, I, I mean, I think you're right. A lot of people's views on marriage are, you know, you at a certain age, you just put up with it. Yeah. I, I'm sure there are lots of people that are past 40 that are like, well, am I, what, am I going to find a new husband now? Of course not. I'm just yeah. going to stick with this guy. Though I am surprised that 
she's playing 41 here, mm-hmm. you know, and granted, I think of Shirley MacLaine as older because that's generally how I know her. Yeah. But, and she is 46 in this movie, so she's not that much older than what she's actually playing, but yeah. in my head, she's much older yeah. than that. <laughs> I just think of Robin Williams. You need to go older. Older? You mean like uh, Shelley Winters older or Shirley MacLaine older? What's the difference? Some scotch tape and red hair dye. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because we've had Shelley Winters and Shirley MacLaine in a row here now. Yeah. Yeah. The visitor in this. We cut to a truck parking in front of a house and a man gets out with a sawhorse and a toolbox. The truck has like a fully built house in the bed of the truck with like a door on it and everything. Yeah. I thought they were getting some kind of shed delivered. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, this guy's like delivering. I think it looks awesome. It's awesome. It's just a homemade mobile home on the back of a truck. It's got a full size door. Yeah. When nobody answers the door to the house, he just walks in and starts some water boiling so he can make some coffee. Karen spies on the man as he begins talking to a small bird that's flown up alongside their kitchen window. So this is really interesting. They have like branches strung up so that birds can sit on them outside the window and mm-hmm. they, and their bird feeder there so they can just watch them by the kitchen sink. But it's kind of open to the yard because... He goes to make a peanut butter sandwich for the bird, and then he notices that it flew away from the window, mm-hmm. and so he has to take it outside to the bird. But for some reason, <laughs> he made it a like peanut, peanut butter, butter sandwich. sandwich. That like, was all they yeah. had in the kitchen that yeah, was remotely bird food. Just give the bird the bread. You don't need to put a peanut butter on it. <laughs> yeah. This guy's name is Pete, and he's here to make a bookcase for Adam's study. A cuckoo clock chimes, and the bird falls out of it. He tells karen that he could fix it she tells pete that she's going back to bed and invites him along and he accepts unsurprisingly adam lied about not bringing either of them he arrives at a fancy restaurant with Lindsay, and the maitre d mistakes her for adam's daughter and Lindsay thinks this is hilarious because she's destroying someone's marriage and family well i think she just doesn't take anything as seriously as him yeah uh, a maitre d' would never do this. Yeah, so They know so too well yeah. <laughs> not to comment on something like that. As they sit down, Adam becomes very paranoid about the stares from other tables. She's being very touchy-feely, and it's making him uncomfortable, probably in part because he didn't correct the maitre d', who still thinks this is his daughter. Well, also, we're assuming he's here for some kind of conference or something like that, so he some of his peers... Some colleagues. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I Though, at the same time, it's kind of frustrating to me that, and maybe this is also realistic. He is play, Anthony Hopkins is playing two very different characters here. Like he is like bold and brazen and you know unapologetic to his yeah. wife about this, and here he is like timid and embarrassed and um you know ashamed and yeah. it just doesn't it doesn't seem to jive that that is the same the same character in relationship to the same people unless that's what he gets off on and that's the whole point of this relationship is to upset his wife or to embarrass himself like he just enjoys the shame of it hmm. back at the house karen and pete are now laying in bed in matching bathrobes she can't stop thinking about what she's just done so pete tickles her to distract her from thinking about it They play a tickle trust game where they each raise their arms in the air and trust the other person not to tickle them before kissing some more. In Adam's hotel room, he tells Lindsay about the shows that they could see tonight, but he accidentally calls her Karen. He asks if it upset her, and she says, It makes me feel sorry for her. For Karen? Why? (laughs) What an (laughs) asshole. Um, yeah, but but again, now he's back to that other character. It's just like in in public, he's ashamed of this relationship, but in in private, he's an asshole about it. Yeah, it's like she signed on for this relationship. Like his wife totally gave him approval. Like, yeah. Oh, why would you feel bad for her? She's she's fine with it. It's like no, she's not. She had a breakdown when she yeah. found out about it. I also am pretty sure that he calls her Karen on purpose here because he's just testing to see what her reaction is. Because he he calls her Karen and then he says, "Oh, I'm sorry." Did that upset you? Like, immediately, like, wants to analyze it. Mm-hmm. She worries that Karen will end up like her mother. When her parents divorced, her dad started dating teenagers, and her mom became addicted to soap operas. Adam says that Karen hates television, and Lindsay invites him into the shower in his pajamas, so he joins her. Back at home, Karen and Pete share a pizza, and then open mouth kiss with pizza still in their mouths. 
No, thank you. There's a lot of food-related foreplay yeah. with them. Well, there was. there's something that we sort of skimmed over when he came into the house. He, when he was shuffling through their fridge, he was commenting about how healthy their food oh, was. Oh, because it was all, like, organic stuff. It, yeah, and, and you're like, oh, these people want to live forever. And, you know, and then when they're eating the pizza, she makes the comment of, I haven't ordered a pizza in 20 years. Yeah. Adam tries to drop Lindsay off a block from his house, but she refuses to get out, so he gets out and walks the rest of the way because he doesn't want to embarrass his wife by getting out of the car in their front yard. Yeah. No, he's ashamed. In- anytime he's in yeah. public, he's ashamed of this relationship. But when he walks in, the house is a wait, mess. Oh, <laughs> when Lindsay pulls away here, the 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 shot cuts right as she's about to hit Drive the, off curb the curb. Yeah. <laughs> she's taking such a wide Yui. Yeah. When he walks into the house, it's a mess. All of his sports stuff has been dumped down the staircase. He finds Karen in her underwear with Pete upstairs. Uh, in his office, which was supposed to have one new bookcase against a wall, <laughs> the entire wall the whole way around the room is now bookcases because she's invited him to just stick around and keep working on stuff. Adam seems upset to find them this way, but it's not clear why. I don't understand why he's so upset about his wife yeah. cheating on him. <laughs> she asks if Lindsay enjoyed Montreal, and he lies for an eighth of a second before admitting, yes, yeah, yeah, she came and she had fun. Uh, he demands an explanation from her, but I can't tell which part he needs explained. She apologizes to him when she sees how upset he is, even though, as far as I recall, he never apologized to her. Yeah. He just said, like, this is a thing that happens. Deal with oh, it. Oh, yeah. He's infuriatingly hypocritical. Yeah. On his way out, Pete tells Adam that his wife is a lovely woman. You know, your wife's a lovely woman. You don't have to tell me that, do you? Yeah, I think I do. The cuckoo chimes again, and it's fixed. Upstairs, Karen approaches Adam to ask what his plans are for the two-week vacation. She wants to know if he's bringing Lindsay to the cabin, and then asks how he'd feel if she came along. He thinks that having her as a third wheel would be awkward and uncomfortable, but she doubles down by suggesting she bring along Pete. Adam can't tell if she's being serious or not, and says that he can't be sure Lindsay would be comfortable with it. Look at it this way. We'd, we'd look like a family outing. Just you and me and the kids. Turns out Lindsay is relieved not to have to hide things. The morning of the drive out to the cabin, Adam and Karen bicker for a bit until Pete rings the doorbell. We missed a moment, though. Did we? When when she when she's in there talking to him about this, I believe he was exercising when she walks in. Right. This is the moment that I have confirmed. Not only is he a monster for cheating on his wife, but he is a monster in all aspects of life because he is jump roping in his house on hardwood floors. Mm-hmm. Very strange. <laughs> Go outside, you monster. <laughs> <laughs> also, they have exercise equipment all over this room that is now built into the bookshelves. Like there was literally space, you know, cut left off of the bookshelves so that like his weightlifting machine could fit inside of it i just thought it was such an odd choice to have this room to combine those filled with uh, you know it's got office stuff it's got bookshelves and it's got gym equipment that is like a permanent installation now (laughs) it's it's a bizarre (laughs) built-in that you're gonna have a tough time handing off to the next buyer and and for someone who seems like he's so interested in being physically fit he doesn't seem particularly physically no. fit. No. <laughs> no, I think this is a newfound thing where he's trying to stay fit for his new young girlfriend. Uh, that I don't makes sense. I don't think he cares about his wife enough to work out regularly. Although he does well, have that built in now. And they have uh they have healthy food. They do. The morning of the drive out to the cabin, Adam and Karen bicker a bit before Pete rings the doorbell. He takes Karen's hand and says Cold hand? I have a warm heart. Which is our second reference to the phrase cold hands, warm heart after terror train earlier this yeah, year i was just trying to think of what that was from and i and it was thinking it was like it was like them having sex in the train compartment yeah and the <laughs> hand was a dead person's hand okay oh, cold hands warm heart when Lindsay arrives they make their introductions and hit the road pete's pickup seems fun karen is laughing and balances a three-foot sandwich on her head before swinging it around the cab <laughs> In Adam's car, Lindsay looks bored and changes the radio station away from classic to rock, but he changes it back. And then back in Pete's car, he and Karen are going Lady and the Tramp on this sandwich while he Ugh. drives. Oh, that's so weird. It's yeah. so frustrating because I feel like we have these really serious dialogue moments and these really earnest conversations. And then Shirley MacLaine does all this stuff that I'm just like, what are you doing? Yeah, and I feel like it's supposed to be, I think it's being improvised. And I'm impressed with the structural integrity of the 
prop sandwich. Yeah. Because I expected this thing to just be Fall falling apart. apart the whole time she's swinging it around. Yeah, I guess. But that aside, I just, I, you know, all of these scenes where I, I understand that she's trying to be really playful yeah. with her, her younger counterpart. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed she's supposed to be having more fun than she did with her husband. But she's taking it so far that it's super obnoxious. Yeah, like it, balancing a sandwich on your head doesn't look like you're just being youthful. It looks like you're being an idiot. Yeah, and I'm just like this. Like I don't understand why this guy would be attracted to her when she's acting like this. Or in general. Or in general. But like, additionally, I think it just cheapens the whole movie and and, and everything that it had going for it gets you know gets buried under her performances here. Yeah, and and if you cut out all of. Shirley MacLaine laughing maniacally at nothing. <laughs> it's a good twenty minutes. Yeah, shorter. I was just like, she's, she's just she's just laughing in every scene. Yeah, and I get like she says a line about it later. It's like I've laughed so much. It's like yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah I know. that was weird. We never cut it. Should see a doctor. <laughs> you might have that thing that the Joker has. Yeah. <laughs> have you been using two different uh, hygiene chemicals lately? <laughs> Smilex. While he's driving, he's having to swerve around oncoming traffic at the last second because he's not paying attention to the road because of how distracting she's being. Karen gets to the cabin, and Pete is very impressed with it. She guesses that Adam and Lindsay are already on the slopes. And we cut to the slopes for the Razzie-nominated Where do I catch the bus for tomorrow? Over footage of Adam and Lindsay skiing. Adam skids out and crashes, and Lindsay jumps on him and rubs snow in his face. Back at the cabin, Pete is prepping dinner while Adam makes both of them drinks, and he kind of picks on Pete for being able to chop up vegetables. Like, what okay, an idiot. But let's let's talk about this. Who cuts an onion like that? He literally puts the round... He cuts an onion in half and then puts the round side down and starts trying to cut it, and it's very awkward. He cannot cut this onion. And then they continue to talk, and he gets to the second half of the onion. And he, and he the flips it over and puts the round side down and struggles to cut this onion. I'm like, has this man never cut an onion before? What is he I, doing? I did not even notice this was happening. That's how inept I am in the kitchen. <laughs> I would just be like, don't you just throw it in the air and swing a knife at it? I don't know how to do it. This that not, looks much easier than my way. This is not Fruit Ninja. <laughs> yeah, you're, like, you're watching, it's like, that's a really weird way to cut a cucumber. <laughs> Adam asks Pete what his intentions are with Karen. He says he's going to take it one day at a time and turns the question on Adam. Where does she fit into your plans? Yeah, well, I, I like it where I am, see. She hates it where you are. She never told me that. She never told me either. Which I really like that line. It's like, yeah. you don't fucking pay attention to her. You yeah. have no idea what she wants. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, I was, I, I'm arguing in favor of the script here. It definitely doesn't earn the Razzie nomination. Right. It's what I think is really great about it is that obviously our two main characters are sort of in, in their own world of problems, but every, every other character around them, their, their two younger counterparts um, and their daughter, even later, they all have really high emotional intelligence in everything that they respond to them with. And they're just telling them, you know, really honest feedback. And it's and this and I Pete think it's, character seems relatively flawless. Yeah, and I think that it's really great because I think that a lot of these movies, you don't get this kind of high emotional intelligence feedback that you're getting here and, 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 it, and it makes for such honest conversations. Yeah. Later, they all seem bored together around the fireplace. Adam teases Pete's cooking prowess with the first half of a poem about soup and Adam is able to finish it from memory because he likes poetry enough to read and memorize it. My vegetable love should grow vaster than empires and more slow. But at my back I always hear time's winged chariot hurrying near. Lindsay thinks it's time to go to bed and they divvy up the bedrooms before disappearing to their separate quarters. All the couples kiss except for Pete and Lindsay, although she does invite him to. Are you gonna kiss me goodnight Pete? No, we're not married. Karen and Adam both have mental blocks that prevent them from having sex in the same house as their spouse. Pete solves this problem by carrying Karen out to the shed in the yard where they stay the night. It's his home. It's not a shed in the it yard. It is a shed. It's going to be freezing in there. It's a yeah. mobile home, and it's got a wood-burning stove. It does have, yeah. They're, they're like, <laughs> cuddling around the stove as that, they're... That is a perfectly acceptable home. <laughs> I Not in the snow, I don't think. I don't think you live in this thing in the snow. Yes, it's fine. 
it's gonna be two degrees in this thing and and this is where we had that really weird cut where anthony hopkins is like looking out looking out longingly out the window and the music is playing and then it fades down and fades to black and then the music is full volume after the cut yeah and right as soon as it comes back up it's like boom it's like oh what i think i feel like this was a commercial break but (laughs) i didn't get one (laughs) i wanted a commercial which vacuum should i buy (laughs) the next day adam and Lindsay hit the slopes again when they stop halfway down the hill just in the path of other skiers a couple men slide up to them and suggest a four-way race to the bottom hey how about a race just the four of us no winner gets her oh i'm already spoken for how are you? Just for fun, then. What do you say? Adam seems insulted that she didn't think he would win, so they decide to race each other down, just the two of them, Adam and, and Lindsay. And he wins, because I think she let him win. At the hotel bar later, Adam and Lindsay step to the dance floor when the same guys show up again. This, is, this isn't a bar. This is just a noise and light factory. Because <laughs> there's <laughs> That's like, what a bar is. Th- there's so many lights spinning on the ceiling. And f- like, I was, they were like, there should be at least four patrons just collapsed having seizures. <laughs> I know. I was like, what is this place? Is it's this a, a ski lodge? It's a disco uh, ski chalet. Oh, I, I, I did not know what was going on here. Uh, but they, they go to the dance floor and the guys try to cut in on their dance, the same two guys from the slopes. Adam and Lindsay both make it very clear that they aren't interested, but they won't let go of Lindsay until Adam starts throwing punches. Adam takes one guy down, but then the other guy knocks him down. And when Karen and Pete see this going on from their table, uh, Karen runs to see what's happening and gives Pete a look like, get in there and do something. So Pete pummels one of the guys uh, and just knocks him out of the fight. And then the other guy, he just keeps punching him over and over again into this column. Mm -hmm. And it looks like he's like losing control of himself. And when he stands back up, he looks back at her and she seems pissed off. That yeah. He did that. yeah. Yeah. Which is it's weird. Like, you asked him to do that. And he needed to to do it. He needed yeah, to step it in. It was necessary. And 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 he should have because he needed to stop these guys from harassing their friend. But and he can read on her face that she's so pissed off why? that he leaves. Why yeah. is she pissed off? But also this plays no bearing in the rest of the film. Right. And <laughs> they set it up to look like he has these untouched upon anger issues that are going to develop over the course of the story no we never even hint at this again but he punches this guy mercilessly over and over again and then on his way out he punches the wall of the place and you're like okay this guy has anger issues that we're gonna have to deal with and it never comes up again yeah it's very strange and and they never even have a conversation to sort it out like they're just back to normal when they get back to the cabin in the morning, Adam's daughter Casey enters the bedroom and apologizes for waking up Lindsay. She doesn't know who Lindsay is, but she doesn't realize that her dad is sleeping on the other side of her. And when she's trying to figure out who this lady is, uh, Adam sits up and she's like, oh, shit, and walks out into the living room just having a panic attack. But she doesn't say, oh, shit. Right. She says, yeah. she says holy smokes, yeah. Like, yeah. but her mouth is saying, holy shit. <laughs> And then, uh, there's a whole other line that she gives later. That or, you can't read any of it. Yeah. I'm dying to know what she originally says. Yeah. <laughs> but she quickly realizes that her father and his girlfriend have been sleeping together in her bed and is very grossed out about this. She says that she came to the cabin to ask for her father's help with some schoolwork. You and this person are making it in my bed. Holy smoke. But again, only her voice is saying holy smoke. Everything is holy shit here. Not clear why, but there are plenty of shots of Bo Derek's boobs in the movie, so it's not like this was a TV edit. She asks her father if she's a student or something, and he confirms. Mm, what are you, take-home quiz? <laughs> I liked that line. Just then, Karen comes down the stairs, and she's excited to see her mom until Pete follows her down, and she's grossed out again. They ask Pete and Lindsay to step outside so they can explain things to Casey. She thinks it's disgusting and unhealthy what they're doing, but Adam counters by pointing out how they've never criticized all of her crappy boyfriends over the years. Pete and Lindsay chat outside about this bizarre situation, and Lindsay makes a snowball to throw at the house in anger because she's been kicked out of this conversation. Like, first of all, you're the one who decided to have sex with this married guy, Mm -hmm. and he's allowed to have a private conversation with his wife and daughter. Like, you don't need to be a part of this. You're not a family member just because you're having sex with him. Yeah, and she was well aware that he had a daughter, and that the daughter didn't know about this relationship. Yeah, she knew she was destroying a a family. (laughs) Inside, they remind Casey that whatever's going on, they still love her, and they ask again why she's here. She admits that her boyfriend, Paul, is missing. They had a big fight, and now she can't find him. 
Apparently, he wants to have an open relationship, and she doesn't, so she's basically trying to marry her father. Pete pops in to tell them that Lindsay left. She's headed out to her father's place because she's so insulted by Adam kicking her out of the house for five seconds. Adam decides that he's done consoling his daughter and leaves after her in Pete's truck. Like, he just feels like he's obligated to the truck. He's like, give me the keys. I'm going to follow yeah, her and now. Pete just let him have it. And I that's don't the understand. last car. So now yeah. they're stuck in this cabin. Right. Because we don't, I don't know how Casey got there. That's true. There's not another car I think she for took her. Took a cab, didn't she? Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. A cab dropped her off. You're right. That Razzie song kicks up again, and I'm warming up to its nomination. <laughs> the truck breaks down, and he leaves it on the freeway, or I guess just runs out of gas, and he doesn't know how to use it. Uh, he hitches a ride in a truck full of yeah, animals. But he abandons this thing on the side of the yep. freeway. Yeah. And you think, cool. You're going to go get some gas and fill it up and nope, keep driving nope, it. Nope. He just goes where he was going to go. He goes where he's going to go. But you're not just abandoning some a car on the side of the freeway. This is his home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You left his home probably unlocked on the side yeah. of the freeway. On a, on a frozen road on a turn yeah. where someone's going to crash into it and destroy all of his shit. Adam pulls up to a giant mansion and that's apparently Lindsay's home. And he walks inside and chats with Lindsay's father who offers to send him home with a few of the lobsters that he cultivates in his living room. Mm -hmm. Like his entire living room is crowded with fish tanks full of lobsters that he grows himself. You gotta have a hobby. I I guess. (laughs) He asks if Lindsay's having trouble in school and Adam is an idiot. So he has to ask why her father would even think that. When dad finally puts two and two together, he's very upset. And then Lindsay starts throwing all of his affairs with young women in his face. Like, oh, this is exactly what you did. I don't know why you think it's so gross when when I'm a part of it. But also, Lindsay is, like, excited to see Adam. Yeah. Like, she's happy to it's see like, him. It's like, didn't you, you left, just leave and you huff? have a temper right. tantrum? Right. I understand how you feel, Mr. Rutledge, because I have a daughter of my own. And I really wanted Rutledge to ask, is she single? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Back at the cabin, Casey and Pete have a conversation. Casey wants him to leave immediately, but Pete says he likes being with Karen and he has no intention of leaving. Plus, her dad took his truck, so he can't go anywhere. Casey asks him to consider the consequences of his actions and not live so spontaneously, and he tells her the story of his non-spontaneous parents who did everything by the book and were killed in a freak accident when a truck jackknifed on the freeway. This wasn't tragic enough, so he continues that he used the insurance money from their deaths to buy a farm upstate. He tried to be safe and secure. He married a woman who got pregnant, but then the Forest Service started testing herbicides near their land, and it poisoned the water table, and his wife lost the baby. She couldn't get over that, so she left him. So he's lost everything in his life, Yeah. and he decided he's not making plans anymore. Holy shit, Pete. This yeah. just got real. <laughs> yeah, it got super dark all of a sudden. Yeah. I feel like we could have left it at my parents died in an yeah. accident. It didn't need to go this dark. Yeah. Is this why you have those anger issues that we don't talk about? Yeah, that we'll never talk about again? Because you want to punch a forestry ranger? <laughs> Back at the Rutledge estate, Daddy invites himself along for the ride to the Vermont cabin. Apparently, they do they pick up the truck on their way? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Karen and Casey go for a walk together. Casey comes to terms with her mom doing what makes her happy. Casey tells Karen that her boyfriend left for Mexico with some waitress, so it's basically over. Don't have to worry about that. Adam, Lindsay, and Mr. Rutledge show up, and Rutledge is understandably confused when he's introduced to Adam's wife among the crowd at the cabin. When he learns that Pete is not Casey's boyfriend, but Karen's, he turns to leave immediately. This is too much for him to deal with. He's like, oh, sorry, here's the lobsters. I got to go. Because he brought lobsters as like a... And he has like a gift. lobster carrying case? Yeah, it's yeah, pretty cool. I like it. It's like made of acrylic. It's nice. Yeah. Lindsay tries to stop him when Casey informs him that she's into older men. And that about does it for Mr. Rutledge. He's done. He tells Lindsay that he's ashamed of her and he walks out. Outside, a taxi pulls up and the driver approaches Mr. Rutledge to pledge his loyalty to Rutledge's daughter. So this is the second taxi that pulls up and it's Lindsay's, no, not Lindsay's, Casey's boyfriend (laughs) who is getting here and mistaking Mr. Rutledge for Mr. Evans and is saying, I love your daughter. I'm in love with your daughter. But it turns out, uh, and Rutledge is keen, at least on this. Like, is he? Is, I think so. He's like, oh, okay. This this is someone my daughter's age. Yeah, I can get him to break this whole situation up. Yeah. 
I, I thought that he just like, oh, well, there's another guy that wants to be with Lindsay. I, I don't I, understand. But, I, but I think he's more okay with it than the other situation. Because yeah, yes. he comes back in. Yeah. I think he wants to see how this plays out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Rutledge follows him inside and, and everyone explains who they are and everything gets straightened out. Paul, the boyfriend, tells Adam and Karen that he intends to marry their daughter. Adam starts to quiz him to see if he's worthy. Do you love her? Well, love, as Freud says, is the overestimation of the sex object. In that respect, I certainly do. So weird answer. I, so flattering. Yeah. Yeah, I, I overestimate your daughter at every moment. Your daughter, a.k.a. my sex object. Once Paul understands who everybody is, he expresses his disapproval and ends up picking a fight with Mr. Rutledge for some reason, the only person who he should agree with in this mm-hmm. house. The two shout back and forth until Pete starts pounding on things in the kitchen to get everybody's attention. And it's like, oh, is this the anger issues coming back? No, it's literally he's just trying to get people's attention. He almost says something to Paul and rutledge but then decides that it's just time to go and he turns around and he walks out of the building karen follows him out but ultimately lets him go and adam tries to eavesdrop on their goodbyes and they tell him to go back inside adam warns pete that there's only a gallon of gas left in the truck and pete says well there's a second tank so like there's probably just a switch on the dash that he could have switched Mm -hmm. tanks but he didn't know that so the car died paul and casey leave to get a head start on their lives together rutledge and it's weird that pete is gone from the story yeah that he he walked out and they said their goodbyes and it was just kind of like yep i'm spontaneous this wasn't gonna last bye and then he leaves i mean i think that they have a moment of understanding though that that she she gets that what they're doing isn't right for him and it's probably not right for her and why is it not right for him because he's not he's I don't think he's over all of that stuff that's happened and and, oh, okay. and his solution is to just keep sort of running from it. And so I'm not saying that that's I, the right solution. I thought solution. that he assumed their relationship was a bad fit for her life because of all this chaos going on in the cabin. Yeah, maybe. I mean But really their daughter had basically gotten over it by the time this car came back with Mr. Rutledge. Oh, I don't think that's why he left. I think he left because she wanted more stability and he wanted to sort of keep running for problems. Yeah. Paul and Casey leave to get a head start on their lives together. They've completely made up and they've decided they're going to go get married. Paul says he's not interested in the having the, you know, multiple wives anymore and he just wants to settle down with her and they're going to they're going to take it seriously. And apparently her parents are like, okay, go do that. That's fine. Rutledge threatens to leave again. And I suddenly realized that we now have two men and two women left in the house. Mm -hmm. Karen convinces him to stay and she'll prepare some of the lobsters he brought along. It seems like Adam and Lindsay have gone to bed and Karen and Rutledge are left to enjoy some after dinner wine in private. The two of them discuss Karen's new position and he tries to convey what happens in the male brain after 40 adam and Lindsay return from outside so not sleeping i guess and rutledge takes his last chance to leave the party karen heads upstairs to sleep and adam wonders how she's going to clean the dishes from upstairs after <laughs> cooking dinner for all of them because he's still the same shitty guy that he started the movie as. yes the next morning there's a knock at the door while adam and Lindsay are presumably out skiing and karen answers it it's mr rutledge adam and Lindsay arrive to an empty cabin and Lindsay finds a note from karen that she went out to dinner with him adam is so distracted by the letter and his petty jealousy that he can't hear Lindsay proposing sex right now he plans to interrupt their dinner and i can already tell that the movie should have ended with him finding this note and not a clumsy restaurant scene mm-hmm. we see a bit of steve rutledge and karen flirting at a restaurant and then adam and Lindsay pull up to the place the letter didn't say where they were going for dinner but somehow adam guesses correctly that yeah. it's this restaurant it's not many they're places in a tiny around. vermont town there's probably only one place you go to dinner well they could have gone to that crazy the, light up yeah. disco the, bar <laughs> disco ski chalet adam sees her at the table with steve and then steps back outside Lindsay understands everything adam was never completely intimidated by pete because he was a revenge fling and he was a child basically but steve here is a man and as much as he pretended to Lindsay, he never actually intended to leave his wife for her so Lindsay realizes here that she was also a fling that this was yeah. just going to be a short-term thing that he did Lindsay leaves him there at the restaurant for good and karen notices adam out the window getting stranded in the parking lot instead of laughing heartily which she should have done she looks concerned, and I'm already worried about where this is going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Karen heads out to the door to speak with him, but she catches herself and thinks for five seconds yep. and then turns around and goes back to the table with Steve. 
Thank God. And I scream with excitement that one of these movies actually ended with a woman making the right choice yeah. to not go back to the horrible man. We've yeah. had like six or seven midlife crisis movies this year. And this is the first one where the couple doesn't just ignore all the shitty things they did to each other and get back together at the end yeah. of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, two two yells of excitement in a row because I was thrilled when Lindsay left him, and then I'm thrilled when she yeah. decides not to go back. Though, and then we and we end with Adam being too proud to go inside and ask for a ride back, so yeah. he just walks through the snow back yeah. to the cabin. Yeah. I, I hope he dies. Yeah, I, I hope he gets hit by a truck on I the don't way know. back. He might do just as well as Lindsay, who's driving a Porsche in the snow, which yeah. was infuriating in every scene I saw it in. Yeah. <laughs> Our director here was Richard Lang. He has all TV credits except for directing both this and The Mountain Men in 1980. Our fired director was Noel Black, who directed movies called Skater Dater and Pretty Poison. And he also wrote Mischief in 1985. The writer slash story came from Eric Siegel, who wrote Yellow Submarine in 68 and The Games, RPM, and Love Story in 1970. He had three titles in 1970. Uh, we'd know his work better if we were doing a 1970 podcast, but we're doing a 1980 podcast. Uh, the other story credit belongs to Martin Ransahoff. This was his last writing credit, but he has lots of producing, including episodes of Beverly Hillbillies TV show, The Fearless Vampire Killers, Ice Station Zebra, Catch-22, The Mountain Men, and Ralph Bakshi's American Pop next year. Writer Ronnie Kern also wrote Bakshi's Pop and a couple of Jesse Stone TV movies more recently. Those are the, um, what's his name? Quigley Down Under. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Selleck. Yeah. Uh, music here was from Henry Mancini. He did the music for Breakfast at Tiffany's. He did the Pink Panther theme. He was a composer for Newhart. Uh, he also did 10 with Bo Derek and Little Miss Marker earlier this year, as well as the Peter Gunn theme, which we heard in Blues Brothers. He'll be back next year with SOB and Condor Man. And even later, he does the composing for Life Force and Ghost Dad editor don zimmerman he was an editor on heaven can wait and being there before this he went on to edit rocky three and four cobra over the top digstown ace ventura pet detective the nutty professor liar liar half baked galaxy quest rush hour three men in black three bill and ted three so a lot of threes yeah and and he, did and you work with Don or did you work with no, one of his sons? No, I worked sons? I worked with one of his sons. He, he has uh two twin boys, um Dan and Dean Zimmerman and yeah. they're both editors. Uh but I worked with Dan on Max, Max Payne. Payne. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our DP here was Philip H Lathrop. This was his second Shirley MacLaine wife swap movie in 1980 uh because he also did Loving Couples and he also was the DP for Foolin' Around. Shirley MacLaine played Karen Evans. She's Aurora Greenway in Terms of Endearment. Uh, she's Fran Kubelik, the elevator girl in The Apartment. She played Weezer Boudreaux in Steel Magnolias and Catherine Richelieu, basically Mrs. Robinson, in The Graduate 2, a.k.a. Rumor Has It. She also appeared earlier this year in the remarkably similar plotted Loving Couples. Anthony Hopkins played Adam Evans. He has an Oscar for Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. He's Corky and Fats in Magic. He's Van Helsing in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Ludlow in Legends of the Fall, Nixon in Nixon, John Quincy Adams in Amistad, and he's Odin in the MCU. And we also had him earlier this year in The Elephant Man. Bo Derek was Lindsay Rutledge. She plays Beverly in Tommy Boy. She's the 10 in 10. She's Katie O'Dare Scott in Ghosts Can't Do It. <laughs> and Jane Parker in next year's Tarzan the Ape Man. And, <laughs> and? and she plays Annie in Orca. Oh, of course. How could I leave Orca off the list? You can't not mention Orca. Michael Brandon played Peter LaChapelle. He was Elliot Salad in Episodes. He's the narrator on a shitload of Thomas and Friends, like Thomas the Train Engine. And he played Senator Brandt in Captain America 1. Mary Beth Hurt was Casey Evans, the daughter. She plays Joey in Interiors. She's Helen Holm in The World According to Garp. Joyce Richardson in Daryl. Judge Brewster in The Exorcism of Emily Rose and Mrs. Bell in Lady in the Water, that Shyamalan movie. She's also uh, married at, well, when she made this movie, she was married to John Hurt. Oh, was she really? Yeah, and uh, shortly after, a couple years after, she divorced him and married uh, writer-director Paul Schrader. Oh, interesting. Yeah, who wrote, like, Taxi uh, Taxi Driver Driver and Raging Bull. Weird. 
So I wonder if she knew Anthony Hopkins from having John Hurt and Anthony Hopkins work together and he suggested her for this or something. I don't know. Edward Winter played Stephen Rutledge. Uh, he was Gebhart in Porky's 2. He's Mr. Crawford on Herman's Head. And he's the voice of Dr. Buzzcut on Ah Real Monsters. <laughs> Paul Regina played Paul DeLisi. That's Casey's boyfriend in this film. Uh, he wrote a movie called Jesse. Mm. J-E-S-S-E. Um, but he doesn't have a lot of acting credits. Kay Callan played Alice Bingham. That's the sociology professor's wife. She played Lisa Williams in American Gigolo. She was Ma Kent on Lois and Clark. She's Judy Sherman on Veep. Mary Lou Curran in Joe. And Great Nana Winetta in Knives Out. She's Christopher oh. Plummer's mother yeah. <laughs> that just sits in a chair by the window all night. Billy Beck played Older Man. Uh, he played the Can Man in the 88 Blob. He played Old Man in Mystery Men, and he's the motel manager in Near Dark. I think it's just weird that you keep the last name of Hurt after you divorce him and marry another guy. Isn't that weird? A little bit. That Hurt stays with you. (laughs) Well, uh, when I was working on uh, My House is Worth What, uh, we had a... Uh, real, realtor whose last name was Sutherland because she was a former wife of Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, but she had her since remarried. Yeah. But she wanted to keep that name for star power for, for that for that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I get the idea of keeping your name because also you have screen credits under that name and you right. don't want to change it. Or like you're just collecting them, like Selma Bouvier, Twillinger, Hutz McClure. Yeah. But I think she married more people after I stopped watching the show. I just remember the last time I heard her say her full name. That's what mm-hmm. it was. And that's when I was like, wait, when did she marry Lionel Hutz? <laughs> I remember the other people. Um, but that was when Homer was trying to convince her to marry a poo so oh, he could poo, stay in yeah. the country. Um, she's like, I can't add Nahasa Pima, whatever. Um, this movie is fun. I like the script. I like the performances from almost everybody except for Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. Um, because she's going overboard. Yeah with the kookiness and i think that it wasn't necessary to make this into such a farce by the end to introduce four or five new characters in the third act i think it would have been fine if the daughter was the last person to enter the story um i i I don't know about the 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 end bit i don't know if i totally agree i'm i'm kind of fine with how that go how that plays out if you had just tightened every take out the cheesy music that yes. that song has yeah. got to go well, that's 1980 and and we t- we tone down shirley mclean and tell her what kind of movie she's actually making say this is not loving couples this is a, this is a more yeah. serious film you're not dancing um, in your living room in a shirt that's five times too big yeah yeah this isn't this isn't quirky and fun this, these are serious conversations and and tone it down a bit you could still have fun moments but um because she's having so much fun that it looks like she's faking it to piss off her husband Mm-hmm. yeah and then it looks like she's not having any fun because she's just pretending the whole time yeah but i i mean i think the end again if everybody just kind of toned it down a half a notch uh i think yeah. it would have been fine to have those the, those storylines wrapped up that way yeah um and i and i disagree with taking the ending off we absolutely need the restaurant scene to have those i'm wins. fine with the restaurant scene yeah i i actually that was just my prediction at the time that there was going to be some dumb restaurant scene that ends with her ending up with anthony hopkins oh, that's what okay. i was worried was going okay. to happen i was like i wouldn't point. end it at the note i was grateful that both these women rejected him at the yeah end. no I, I i appreciated where it ended yeah. up that was just my note at, as i was doing it live yeah and i and i appreciate too that i don't think that we necessarily like i think we know that shirley mclean at this point is smart enough that you know this guy may or may not be you know he's got the same problems that uh her husband had in terms of dating younger women so this guy might not be the answer but I'm well that's my bigger problem not going is back that to the old we, husband literally all we know about this guy is that he cheats on his wife and he has well i guess he didn't cheat on her because they divorced before he started yeah. marrying or dating younger girls but all we know about him is that he's that he's interested in younger women and that he doesn't care about his ex-wife and so it seems weird that we would leave her in his hands when she's been in the hands of a caring decent guy the whole time who's only been left and cheated on himself but i think that we have learned by the end of the film that 
because she says she has a line at some point where she's like, he gave me my freedom when he did this. He gave me my freedom. And I think that that is the moment that we realize that she's like, you know what? I can do my own thing. I can be happy. I can make my own choices. And I don't think that that means that she's necessarily going to end up with this guy. It just yeah. means that she's like, you know what? I'm going to have fun. Yeah. I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah. And I'm not going to cater to Adam's every need. Yeah. Because that's a waste of my time. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Richard's making a horrible face. Did you still hate it as much at <laughs> the end? I, 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 the I, I did not like this movie. I, I couldn't get over the, this this concept of of why are you still with him? Why, why is this whole thing? Why are you going out to a cabin with him? Like that, that to me was just boggling my mind. Why would let him go to the cabin with Lindsay? Why yeah, does she have the why, house to yourself? Yeah. Why is she so adamant about going? Uh, but I think at the time it was because she wanted to rub her affair in his face yeah. because that bothered him more than his affair bothered her. I think that the, I think that our two main characters make a lot of childish choices in this movie, but I think that that is realistic, realistic in, in their anger and frustration and processing of what is happening. And, and, and the, the saving redemption of this movie is that everyone around them is telling them as it is telling them how, how they should be feeling. It should be reacting and, and pointing out the folly of, of what they're doing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's still a societal understanding that older women have a tougher time finding a new relationship than but, older but, men do. But does she, is that required? Is it, are, are we required to have her have another relationship by the end of this movie? She, it seems like the only reason that she wants to stay, like she's been given all this advice. Oh, you, you, you might lose your husband. Uh, good. But he, get rid of him. In her situation, she doesn't work. She is supported completely by his salary. And she still will be when they get divorced. Yeah, but not forever. No, not forever. But she has now time to concentrate on herself. She can do what she wants. She's still in that yeah. situation now. But wh- why Why do you feel that this movie is counter to anything you just said? Because she's working so hard to, to be around him. Well, she, because she, she's married to him. That's her husband, and she cares about him. But she shouldn't. Him. She shouldn't be married to him. Like, right? But that's not how the real world works. Like, you can flip a switch and say, "Oh, you cheated on me. Okay, I'm not in love with you. Bye," and leave. But that's not real. Like, what no. would really happen is this is a person I've invested so much of my life in, and I thought I was going to grow old with. Maybe there's a way I can fix this. That would be a realistic first thought. God, I hope not. I really? think that's what 99% of people would do. Ugh. I think there's 1% of people that would go, oh, you cheated on me? Oh, okay. Well, then I guess we're done and just walk away. I don't think that's a normal reaction. I'm, I'm not saying it's incorrect. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't think the normal reaction to finding out you've been cheated on is to just completely dissociate from yeah. the other person. I, I totally agree. I think that it takes time to process and i think what we're seeing for the most part in this film is kind of the early stages of their processing which for the most part is kind of you know bitter and childish and uh full of anger and uh you know bad choices but i think that they're they're processing yeah that's not enjoyable to watch for me sure that's that's where i'm getting it's like none of this was enjoyable i don't well they're trying to make it wacky by throwing 12 characters in a cabin by the end of the movie i I, I don't respect him immediately and i respect her less and less as the movie goes on the more that she's Mm -hmm. trying to be with him and around and and then at this point i'm just like why am i even watching this anymore yeah just watching people self-destruct yeah i mean i enjoyed i enjoyed the dialogue around those conversations i also think the end justifies the means that she learns the lesson of oh this this guy was a mistake for me, mm-hmm. and I can do what I want now. The end. Yeah, and then I'm, that I'm guy gonna, uh, just yeah. I'm gonna go with this guy who has affairs with you. It's not going with this guy. It's doing it, what I want. And in eat, this moment, this guy's paying for I'm, my dinner. I'm today. gonna enjoy my dinner and take the compliments <laughs> yeah. he's giving me, and 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 I'll hang out it. with the 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 rock lobster for a bit, and then when I get bored of him, I'll move on to whatever else I want to do. Yeah. 
and I, collect money from my husband. I mean, maybe I looked at this film more favorably than I should because we've had so many divorce comedies and and, and they stuff. all end with the people going like, you know what? We yeah. were married for a reason, right? And it's like, no, no, no. You guys hate yeah. each other. And and this movie wasn't that for me. This movie was full of insightful dialogue. This movie um, ended the way I wanted it to end. Yeah. And I had such low expectations going in that I was just surprised every step of the way. Yeah, like in Middle Age Crazy, Bruce Stern's just cheating on his wife the whole time. He hits her when she finds out that she cheated back. Mm-hmm. And then the two of them at the end are just like, oh, but we're married, so let's just stay married. And they're like, yep, happy ending. Yeah. And uh last married couple like same thing happens serial same thing happened Mm -hmm. all of these movies it's and and uh what was that terrible one that we just watched a falling in love again again, where it's just like these people do not belong together why are they ending up together at the end of the film Mm -hmm. um and so this i feel like this is this is a turning the corner on that this is the first time where someone said hey divorce isn't worse than cheating or hitting your spouse it turns out it turns out divorce is a healthy part of ending a bad relationship. So I, I thought it was, I, it reminds me of that, the Louis C.K. bit, the uh, uh, no good marriage ever ended in divorce or something like that. Because after he got divorced from his wife, people would say like, oh, I'm so sorry. And he's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> We're both a lot happier now. Yeah. Uh, still probably a thumbs down from me. Because I, I wouldn't ever say to someone, you should go check this oh, one yeah. out. Oh, yeah. No, I wouldn't recommend this to anyone. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. It's enjoyable enough, but it's it's not a it's not a recommend. It's a down. Yes. Um, Where are we going letterboxed-wise, Richard? Uh, I have this at uh, 127. Okay. Uh, out of 150, we're at our, what did you call it? The sesquicentennial? Sesquicentennial? <laughs> I think that has to do with yours, though, right? <laughs> or what the annual part means? <laughs> Sesquipisodic ep- episodal? Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. Sasquatch episode. Anyway, it's at 127, <laughs> right below the children and right above nothing personal. I almost rather watch someone club a seal than watch this movie. <gasps> no. Almost. No. Almost. It is the worst. That is the worst movie. Is that at the bottom of your list? Yes. I don't know where to put this one. Okay. I think I'm okay with this position. Shit. I can't save that before I say, I have it at 69. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I have to move it. Oh. God damn it. <laughs> no, it's fine at 69. You can't pick based on the number. Because <laughs> <laughs> something already was 69. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I have it in 81st place. It is just below Fade to Black and just above The Hollywood Nights. All right. I have it in 119. That is just below How to Beat the High Cost of Living and just above Witch's Brew. I think that's about everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Whereas I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will link you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Because this is our first episode of the month again... I wanted to remind our listeners about our Patreon campaign for anyone who hasn't had time to check it out. We have a couple tiers. Vintage video will always be free to listen to, but if it's worth it to you, a donation as small as a buck a month is greatly appreciated. We are into December now. We've been doing the show for 11 months, and this is our 150th episode. We are averaging close to 14 titles a month, which means for the buck a month tier, you're donating 7 or 8 cents per episode. We also offer a $5 tier which amounts to about 36 cents per film and includes a shout out on the show, a monthly exclusive episode reviewing a title from the 70s, and a hand in choosing each month's film. We've recorded 11 so far, and for January, our second tier members are choosing between four titles. The Last Valley, James Clavel's historical drama set during the Thirty Years' War, starring Michael Caine and Omar Sharif. The Statue, Rod Amato's British comedy film, about a Nobel Prize-winning professor who suspects his wife of cheating when she unveils an 18-foot statue of him with someone else's genitals, featuring appearances by David Niven, Robert Vaughn, John Cleese, and Graham Chapman. Zat, 
John Barton's science fiction horror film about a mad scientist who transforms himself into a fish monster, and Zachariah, George Edlund's western musical about two gunfighters who separate and experience surreal visions on their journey through the West, starring John Rubenstein and Don Johnson, each of which will celebrate their 50th anniversaries this coming January. If this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can find our campaign at patreon.com slash vintagevideopodcast, and if not, I hope you'll at least do us the honor of continuing to listen. Thanks again, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing The Competition, which IMDb describes like so. The movie centers on a piano competition whose winner is assured of success. It is Paul's last chance to compete, but newcomer Heidi may be a better pianist. Can romance be far away? Will she take the dive despite the pressure to win from her teacher, Greta, or will she condemn Paul to obscurity? This sounds terrible. We leave you now with the trailer for The Competition. The Competition. The most important moment in their lives. When winning... Hey! ...isn't everything. Tell me you're not entered. I'm entered. You're so bloody good. You have no time for her. And you also do not remember me, and I'm now feeling very foolish. You have no time for her. Did you have an itch for me? Nope. I think you did, and I think you possibly still do. That is your first husband. That you, you marry it. You cleave to it. Because it gives your life a center that no man... That very few men can possibly give you. Have you ever heard of competitive edge? In which one looks for ways to dislike one's opponents? There are some things that aren't meant to be shared. And this is one of them. They broke the cardinal rule of the competition. They fell in love. Okay. So what I really feel about you and me is that we are a corporation. Now, if you win, great. If I win, better. <laughs> and if neither of us wins, then the hell with it, but the corporation goes on. If you're really in love, nothing's going to stand in your way. Richard Dreyfus. Amy Irving. Lee Remick. The Competition. <laughs>